Northwestern gets their first ever win over an AP number one team, and it caps off, Andy Patton, another nuts weekend of college hoops. And the question now becomes, where's the right spot for Purdue? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up? Welcome into Locked On College Basketball, the only daily national college hoop show out there. We are your hosts, Andy Patton. I'm Isaac Shade, and this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with the people who have skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 Goals. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. Well, coming up on the show today, ACC officiating is having a difficult year and we have an overflowing six pack in our weekend roundup for you. But first, hey, we are less than an hour away from kickoff of the Super Bowl mm-hmm. as we record this. I'm rocking a Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs hoodie because I've lived here in Missouri 13 years figured I should probably get something Andy who's <laughs> winning this football game oh man well I, I kind of think the Eagles are going to win quite honestly but uh, it's also hard for me to vote vote to vote against Patrick Mahomes that guy is, is extremely talented I'm just hoping for a good game absolutely and you know I'm going with uh, the Chiefs because I'm rocking it of course by the time you're watching and listening to this one of us will be right and one of us will be wrong let us hear about it anyway <laughs> Down goes number one, Purdue, for Andy, the second weekend in a row. Interesting, interesting. It's the second time in three games they lost at Indiana last Saturday and then lost Mm -hmm. at Northwestern on a, frankly, sleepy Sunday Mm -hmm. afternoon. And so this means, Andy, that it's time for us now to take a look at their resume. But Mm -hmm. before we actually look at their resume and our top fives, what what happened in this game? Let me set it up and then get a, a couple thoughts from you there. Mm-hmm. Purdue leads by eight with under four minutes to go, 345. And then for that final couple minutes, Northwestern outscores Matt Painter's team 17 to three. Purdue has six turnovers in the final two minutes and seven seconds. Three from National Player of the Year, probable, Zach Eady. And then three from that backcourt of Braden Smith and Mr. Lawyer. Ah, Andy, we've wondered often about these freshman guards and how they are going to hold up as push comes to shove. Mm-hmm. Is this one of the first moments this season we've seen some cracks from them? Yeah, you know, this is a, a fantastic team, obviously, and I don't think that this changes that necessarily. I think hats off to, to Northwestern for starters. That's a very good team. Right? Well yeah, have, that's cool. Well on their way to making another NCAA tournament appearance, something that doesn't happen for this school all that often. I think they do deserve some praise here, some credit. Uh, but at the end of the day, Freshman guards are are a little bit volatile, and, and one of the things that has been the most impressive about this Purdue team all season long ha- has really been the kind of unflappability of these freshman mm. guards, the fact that they have continued to maintain success and that we haven't really seen them. We haven't seen those cracks, you know, and, and yes, they play through Zach Eady and being able to play through a obvious front runner for national player of the year, a, a singularly dominant force in the way that Eady has been. It has certainly helped those guards, but I do think that you start to see, you know, see 
seasons are long and, and it's not uncommon for freshmen to start to kind of struggle towards the end of the year. I think you look at a huge chunk of freshmen and, and start to see that pattern. And when you rely on multiple players, the way that Purdue does, the way that Matt Painter's squad ha- has kind of done this year, they're really dependent on those guys to be pretty locked in night in and night out. And it, it's just not always going to happen. And Purdue's got to find ways to win in games when that doesn't happen. And in this situation, we're talking about a team that turned the ball over six times in the last two minutes. I mean, that just that cannot happen. Yes, three of them were by Zach Eady, and that is important. That is context there. Big men tend to, you know, they're, they're going to turn the ball over more when you run through them as much as you do. And so for Eady, I don't think three turnovers is a death sentence for him or anything, but you can't be doing that at the end of the game. And again, hats off to Northwestern. I think they played a really good game here. I think they took care of business against a Purdue team that. I don't know that they were looking ahead necessarily, but uh, it was a bit of a sleepy performance from them, and uh, it, it bit them. And now we're looking at a team that's lost two of the last three games and, and has lost their their stranglehold on the number one spot in the country. And, and before we even get to that national level, it, they've lost their stranglehold on mm-hmm. the Big Ten. Yeah. Picture. I mean, they've still got their – They've got a stronghold on the Big Ten mm-hmm. picture, but it's no longer a stranglehold. Why? Because that three-game lead now shrinks to two mm-hmm. with Northwestern themselves, Indiana, both of whom just have beaten Purdue, and mm-hmm. Illinois, all three of those teams, only two games back in the loss yep. column, with with technically enough games left on the regular season schedule to, to overcome a lead such as that. And, man, Indiana, who uh, – yeah, they're, they're looking pretty good. They, mm-hmm. they almost took an L uh, on the road Saturday at Michigan, but were yeah. able to close it out. So uh, that's just something to watch, too. Uh, not only the, the national level, but also here in the Big Ten race. And so, Andy, you, br- you bring it up, that mm-hmm. the national level now. This is the second time in the last four weeks we've had number one unexpectedly lose uh, on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. Houston lost to Temple a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we had this conversation last week after Purdue lost to Indiana, and we both, and clearly the AP voters as well, decided, yeah, Purdue, given their resume, should stay at number one. Is that still the case? No, no. I, I, the, I think they're still a very, very top tier team. And I think you could make a strong argument that they are one of the best. If not, you could make an argument that they're the best team still playing. They, they have three losses. They have a, a really a pristine record. They have a lot of great wins. But I can't still have them at number one. And I think that we're, I, by the time many of you are listening to this, you probably have already seen the AP results come out. And I would be very, very surprised if the AP voters still keep them at number one. Part of that is because AP voters tend to be pretty reactionary in terms of reacting to exactly what happened last week as opposed to taking a fuller look. But I think if you do that with Purdue, a, a big picture look at their entire season as well as their recent performances, I still, it's hard to find an argument for them at number one. So uh, my, I only bump them down two spots i'll tell you that i have them at three uh and i think that that's i would i think that's probably where we're going to see them the ap poll right in that conversation but i don't think they're going to get a whole lot of first place votes anymore and and i'm right with that it's it's the exact same thing we said i believe still firmly that there is this top tier of Mm -hmm. alabama houston and purdue Mm -hmm. i haven't changed my thought on that i'm right with what you said Mm -hmm. however i have changed the order of it last week in my top three, I had Purdue, Alabama, Houston. And so I've just like shuffled. It's like the, uh, what is that run you do where the, the runner goes, drops to the back and everybody else yeah. moves up one. That's what yeah. I've done here. Mm-hmm. Alabama, 
Um, after, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but after a really strong performance at uh, Auburn on Saturday, moves up to number one for me. And then you just slot Houston right up to number two. And then Purdue slides in at number three. Because after them, in my top five, uh, it's once again, like we said last week, where I feel pretty comfortable with that. And then it's just kind of, I'm good with whatever after that. I really, as I looked at this, I I, I came down on Mm -hmm. Texas at four. Mm-hmm. UCLA at five and ultimately Kansas at six, but those were the three teams mm-hmm. I was trying to decide on between those two final slots in my top five. And I'm, I know I'm going to get some, some heat on that because Kansas literally just beat Texas earlier mm-hmm. this week, but that was at fog Allen. It was only eight points. And I, I, I think when I look at Texas's resume, I still mm-hmm. right now and what they're doing right now would take them over Kansas neutral site right now and so given that and then given what ucla has continued to do i'm going texas four, ucla five kansas six and then just trailing off of that baylor woo, they are coming watch out and then virginia and arizona would round out round out like my top nine what about you andy Pretty similar. Uh, pretty similar. If you're going to catch flack for having Texas above Kansas, then uh, so am I. <laughs> I have the same thing. Uh, so last week, uh, we kind of talked about this last week. I had Houston over Alabama. Yes, Alabama had that fantastic win over Auburn. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But I still have Houston number one. So now, or I still have Houston above Bama, which means that I now have the Cougs as the number one team in the country. Ooh. I think you look at where they are in Ken Palm, the only team in the top five in offense, top five in defense. Uh, yes, the schedule is different. And yes, uh, Alabama beating Auburn is more impressive than the wins that Houston picked up. But I just, I, I think this is the best team in the country. I really do. I, they're balanced. They have an incredible offense, incredible defense. I, I think this is going to be a really, really tough out when we get into the NCAA tournament. I have Bama second. Uh, Again, same type of reasoning. I think they're really, really talented. I think they're kind of right in that conversation. Purdue slides to third. Same thing that you talked about, just moving them down two spots, shifting those two guys up. And then I have the same four or five. I have them in a different order. I have UCLA at four and Texas at five, but the arguments for them are, are both the same. And I have Kansas at my sixth spot as well. I honestly stared at Texas and Kansas for a really long time <laughs> for the same reasons. I was like, well, they just won, but you know, net and Ken Palm still like Texas a little bit more. It's awfully close. Yeah. It's awfully close between those two schools. I could see myself changing my mind uh, a lot after that. And I, I almost didn't put any other schools as next in line. I think those to me are the clear six best teams in the country. I think there are a lot of different orders you can put them in. Uh, I did kind of mention Arizona and Virginia and I, and I saw you had Baylor and I think Baylor deserves some love there as well especially from what they've done lately but to me there are five six really really strong teams i think there's the top three there's the three after that and then i think after that it kind of gets a little bit murkier uh but yeah there's a lot of really good basketball teams this year no great basketball teams but a lot of really good ones yeah and like andy if i asked you right now quick and then we'll get out to Mm -hmm. the next thing give me one of those six as the national champion or the field who you're taking Field. It's a field this year. hundred percent. I, 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 Houston is the team I would pick, but I, I'm taking the field. I just, it's too, too much parody this year. Well, we're going to talk about the ACC right now. The ACC officials, well, they're having a rough year. It's never been more public than it is right now. The closing moments of regulation in Saturday's Duke at Virginia game. We're going to unpack all of that. But first, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by LinkedIn. As a small business owner or a hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. 
That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract and identify the most qualified candidates to, op to your open jobs with targeting tools and then connect them fast and for free. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. You want to achieve your business goals in 2023, and the right team member may help you just do that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Isaac, ACC refs, potentially it's, it's going to be a hard argument to say they didn't in some capacity cost Duke a quad one road victory over a top 10 team, uh, of course, against Virginia. This was an absolutely banana situation. Really unfortunate for Duke the way this thing shook out. Uh, Virginia was up down the stretch. Jacob Grandison hits a game-tying three for the Blue Devils. Duke inbounds the ball. Kyle Filipowski, free run to the rim. He gets fouled. It was pretty clear watching the replay and watching the replay and watching the replay as many times as all of us saw it. It looked like Filipowski got fouled before the clock hit double zeros. They reviewed it. They decided, no, the foul happened afterwards. The game goes into overtime. You could make an argument that Duke not getting the call there sort of deflated the team a little bit, regardless of what happened after that. They did not win the game. They did have an opportunity to win. They did not lose on that call. They went to overtime on that call, uh, but it was still a really frustrating situation. The ACC released a statement uh, and basically said, we got the call wrong. <laughs> that was the, there, there was a little bit more to the statement than that, but that was effectively it. We made a mistake. Uh, this should have been called. Filipowski should have gone to the free throw line. You can make a pretty strong argument that Kyle Filipowski likely would have hit at least one of those free throws, giving Duke the lead. Uh, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation. Isaac, I know, uh, you know, you had some thoughts on this as well. I'd love to kind of hear what you take away from this, uh, seeing the refs who have struggled throughout the year. And we've seen some stuff like this, but this was a pretty high profile one for a, a tremendously high profile program in Duke. And of course, playing a, a top 10 team like Virginia. Yeah, I mean, all of that just brings it together to to make it a very, very bad look for the ACC mm -hmm. refs who already are, are struggling this year. As you had said, mm -hmm. what what's funny is you you talked about like uh, replay after replay after mm -hmm. replay, and I was like, dude, I realized it in real time. I didn't yeah. even need the replay. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, I even I I even tweeted something like as they were deciding, I was like, well. Filipowski's going to the line to give Duke mm -hmm. a win here. And, uh, you know, Virginia's going to have to regroup. And then I just had to quickly delete it because that ain't what happened. Yep. Because uh, we ended up going to overtime. And if we're going to replay, if we're going to use replay, mm -hmm. how are we going to get things this egregiously yep. Yep. wrong? Um, I, I, I don't see how the, the ACC can allow this and and mm -hmm. that's that's great that you issue a statement mm -hmm. but but basically they said all right that's it that's all we're talking about and we've talked to the refs we've talked to both institutions and if you're virginia it's like cool fine we escape yay <laughs> uh but if you're duke like mm -hmm. I, I am incensed if i'm mm -hmm. john shire and mm -hmm. the coaching because 
th- that's just frankly unacceptable. And and yeah. for Duke, who you know they're kind of had some struggles back and forth. They had lost at Miami earlier in the week mm-hmm. um, after having beaten Carolina uh, yeah. last Saturday, and so it's like. Ah man, we got a rebound from that, and you're feeling like, dude, we're about to do this. Like mm-hmm. uh, winning two out of three of those games uh, at home against Carolina, you lose to Miami, but then you make up for it by beating the team on the road that most people think is the front runner for the ACC championship in Virginia. And you're like, all right, we got this, mm-hmm. and so that's just that is complete inappropriate and mm-hmm. cannot happen. We have to do better. Not only this, Andy, but there was a like we might not have even should have seen this play because there was some question about the timing of the count on mm-hmm. the on the throw in for Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went back and looked at it from the second Duke caught the ball until like he actually passed it, and it was over five seconds. I got up to like like I ran it a bunch of times, had just shy of six seconds, and mm-hmm. it's weird because we I went back and looked at the NBA rulebook and the NCAA rulebook. And we get completely different language on how that five second counts adjudicated. We don't need to mess with that right now because I don't want to take the time for it. But it's so clear in the NBA rulebook and the NCAA rulebook leaves all this room for interpretation Mm -hmm. for the referees of like the the five second count starts not when he catches the ball, but when the throw in count begins. Well, what on earth does that mean? And and you watch this ref and Duke catches the ball and oh, look at that bird flying by one you know, like mm-hmm. we just we have to do better than that. Mm-hmm. Xavier and Butler had an issue at the end yep. of their game. I know that's getting outside of the ACC and into the Big East, mm-hmm. but there was a kind of odd goaltending call. I mean, by mm-hmm. definition, there was a goaltend, but it came after a block had occurred. And yep. so I didn't think the goal, anyway, you know, like all of these things, this is not the lone issue on Saturday. And so, Andy, mm-hmm. what, what the question becomes for us then is, like the situation, great. Let's talk about it. Let's pack it away and be done with mm-hmm. it. But it, it's like other issues. What has to change? We mm-hmm. Because th- certainly something has to change. I, I think we've got multiple things we could work on doing, but how do we get better so that this doesn't happen on one of the biggest stages in all of college basketball on Saturday? I think one thing that that stands out to me that you look at the what the other professional sports are doing and often with with changes like this you'll see college sports be a little bit behind what the what the pros are doing and that makes sense obviously it's a, it's a much significant amount of finances and money and things riding on professional sports that aren't necessarily riding on college sports but one thing that has has happened in the professional sports is that they have a different group of people who are watching the replays it's not the same people uh, you know, NFL, they have a booth. You have a different set of people who are basically checking. And I'm not in any way, shape or form accusing these refs of not changing the call because they wanted to protect themselves. I don't think that that's what's happening here. But at the end of the day, in order to avoid anything like that, you should have an offsite person who is reviewing these calls. It could even be an in-house person, just a different person, just a different person who is looking at these calls. I think that that's a, an obvious change that could help mitigate any concerns that people might have because while i'm not making those accusations against the acc refs there might be people who are (laughs) or certainly you're at least opening yourselves up to some of that criticism in a way where hey an independent person also looked at this review and if both got it wrong well you you still have issues that you need another issue (laughs) yeah that's another issue altogether but it seems to me like that's less likely to happen 
in this situation, it felt like there was just an, a misunderstanding of the rules, which is also pretty problematic. That, that can't be continuing to happen. Uh, but I think that that's, that's an issue that needs to be addressed that I think could be addressed in a, in a relatively easy manner. Uh, I think accountability from referees, like, mm. again, the ACC basically said, we consider this matter closed. And it's yeah. like, you didn't really do anything like I don't want these guys to be publicly fired and shamed no, necessarily no. but there needs to be more than we conducted an internal investigation and we have decided that everything is fine like that's not that doesn't feel good enough when a team effectively like almost as clearly as possible got cut cost a game like this is about as cut and dry as it's going to be of like they probably would have won had you gotten that call correctly like it's pretty clear yeah. now that of course they did have a chance sure. to win still and, and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But like, sure. that's, that's a pretty big issue. And but I you, you had the game one. You shouldn't have yeah. to rewin a game. You won. Yeah, you did. You shouldn't have had to play five more minutes. <laughs> it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have come down to that. So I think that there needs to be more accountability and whether that's referees answering questions post game, which is something that's been talked about, whether that's uh, specific reporters getting more access to referee, like there's, there's different ways that this could be handled. Uh, but I think ultimately like, making sure the replay process is is more airtight than it is currently making sure that the rules are understood which seems obvious but apparently needs to be addressed uh, and then just potentially some more accountability those are starts at least to making this a, a bit smoother of a process hey and start is better than the nowhere that we're at yeah, right now and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying throw these guys up on the dais to have to sure. answer every question that's lobbed at them mm-hmm. um, but like if if these 18 to 22 year old players can handle it. Why mm-hmm. not the refs? Like even if it's a, a AP reporter or like an agreed upon neutral reporter going to the referee's locker room and just, Hey, could you unpack these couple calls or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Another thing with the, with the NCAA refs, I'll hit this and then we'll move on is why, why can that? I, I know, like you said, it's a lot more money, but this is not a pro it's, they are not full time in this role. These guys mm-hmm. have other jobs. If we were to professionalize this thing, again, I know that's salaries, that's bonuses, right. that's healthcare and all that stuff. But if we put so much time and energy and effort into this and people are, you know, uh, millions and billions of dollars, mm-hmm. let's pay the reps. Okay, Andy, we are going to close today's show as we do every Monday with our six pack, which this week is overflowing with way too much suds. We need a towel to wipe it up or something. Uh, no way we can get to everything, but we got some great games to unpack. Andy and I'll give that to you as we do every Monday. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. You're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? Then listen, you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays a month or two ago. And listen, I know my job is to eat a little healthier this year because yikes, I didn't during the holidays. And if you're like me and you want to do that without compromising taste, then you got to try Built Bar with which healthy is actually tasty. What makes it so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. And check out these flavors. Churro? Peanut butter brownie? Are you kidding me? And I'm not sure how Built does it, but they taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. Just 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and yet 17 grams of protein. Best news of all, you ain't got to sit around and wait for the delivery guy to bring them to your door now. You can just hop on down to Walmart or Sam's Club, pick yourself up a four count of cookies and cream, or go to Sam's Club and get that bulk package for why ever you need to do that. So go try some Built Bars today. You won't be disappointed. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. 
All right, Andy, let's wrap up today's show with our six-pack. Folks, if you're new to the show, this is where Andy and I just give you six games or six things from the weekend that we thought were important and want to hit, and we just lob them back and forth. So, number one, my number one team in the nation, for some reason Andy hates them and only has them at number two, the Alabama Crimson Tide. What are you doing to me, man? (laughs) (laughs) Alabama heads to Auburn and comes away with a 77-69 victory in a game that was a lot closer than that score indicates. And here's why, Andy, I really want to point this out. The narrative about Alabama is that what they do is bomb away from three and defend you well, and on days where they're off from three, they're going to lose. I myself, hand up in the air, have said that 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 variability could be their Achilles heel in the NCAA tournament. So what happens when they don't shoot well? They win 77 to 69 at their arch rival. Andy, Alabama only went six for 21 from beyond the arc. That's just 28.6%. Meanwhile, inside the arc, 23 of 28, 82.1%. That's going to get it done any day of the week. I don't care how poorly you're shooting from the three-point line, as long as you're hitting your free throws as well, and that's what... Alabama did so for the second Saturday in a row poor Auburn there there was a couple of iffy calls in the closing minutes if I'm Bruce Pearl I'm about as incensed as John Shire was on Saturday but uh, unfortunately for the Tigers they do lose again but for Alabama they just keep right on rolling Woo, Crimson Tide that's my number one team Andy Patton <laughs> well then the next game we're going to talk about here uh, is Arizona losing at Stanford. It's crazy that this game ends up as part of the six pack, but there was a lot to unpack this week. There was a whole lot we had to talk about. So the number four team in the country, Arizona loses. Uh, I have labeled the PAC 12 as many others have uh, the conference of cannibalism, because this seems to happen every year where teams beat up on each other and hurt themselves in the NCAA tournament. Arizona, obviously not in any danger of falling out of the field of 68. They're going to be fine. But in a weekend where Oregon beat USC, which seems to hurt their odds, and then lost to UCLA, and it's just it's just a mess in the Pac-12. And Stanford going out, outscoring Arizona 47-35 to 35 in the second half. This is not a particularly good Stanford team. They got real hot. All of their starters were in double figures. 10 of 18 from deep in this game. When you shoot 55% from three, you got a pretty good chance of beating anybody. When you shoot 55% from three and you hold the other team's best player, a potential National Player of the Year candidate in Azulis Tabellis, when you hold him to four points you're probably going to win that basketball game. That's what happened for Stanford. Really nice win for that club. Tough loss for Arizona. They now have four losses in the Pac-12. None of them are to UCLA. None of them are to USC. That is not great. They have a loss to Oregon, lost to Washington State, Utah, and Stanford uh, for a really, really solid team with a really solid resume. Uh, Oregon's not a bad loss, but the other three, those are not great losses uh, for Tommy Lloyd's squad right now. And that's what we've said is the key to win in the Pac-12. You got to beat all the other teams that yeah. aren't U- UCLA. And so, by virtue of that, the Bruins now hold a two-game lead in mm-hmm. the Pac-12 standings. Andy, going back to the SEC, poor Tennessee. Over the course of like four days, they lose on buzzer beaters twice. Once at Vanderbilt midweek, and then this game against Mizzou on Saturday. And it was kind of a wild series of events where Mizzou had been leading for a lot of the game. Tennessee comes back, takes a lead, and then uh, Mizzou just kind of hangs around, hangs around, hangs around. Uh, Tennessee misses a free throw. 
and they have one more with like four seconds left in the game. Lane violation. Mizzou, no timeouts. Run the ball up the court. Just kind of heave up a prayer at half court. Boom, it drops, and down go the Vols for the second game in a row at the buzzer. Yikes, that's painful. And, and you might think, ah, I mean, it's just two losses. But you think about it, with Alabama being 12-0 and in SEC play, Eight and four is what Tennessee is. That's a lot different than 10 and two mm-hmm. when you're trying to keep up and maintain ground, which by the way, Texas A&M is also 10 and two in mm-hmm. uh, SEC play. Keep your eyes on that. And now not only are you, uh, have you lost two in a row? You know what happens uh, on Wednesday of this week, Andy Patton, the Alabama Crimson Tide yeah. are coming to Knoxville. This matchup that we've been waiting for, all season long i've been saying it the past week multiple times don't trust tennessee that defense is electric but you never know what you're gonna get from the offense and we learned more about that in kind of heartbreaking fashion on saturday well if this is a pretty long time into the podcast to talk about the big 12 for the first time i know <laughs> that there are some people who might be happy uh, that it's been a bit but we got to talk about the big 12 we, there's a lot of, of fantastic big 12 action that happened over the weekend as they're pretty much always is with that conference because of how good every single team is Uh, two big 12 teams that are really making strong moves upward right now the Baylor Bears and Oklahoma State the Cowboys Uh, the Bears started the season 0-3 in big 12 play and I remember Isaac you had a great conversation with Drake Toll the host of the Lockdown Baylor Bears podcast and he kind of said I'm not that worried about it because the big 12 is really really good well he shouldn't have been worried. He was right because they've won three in a row. They've won nine of 10 since then. Uh, this is a really, really strong team. They're now tied for second in the conference with Kansas. Uh, nice victory for them. Uh, one game behind Texas right now. And then the Cowboys beat Iowa State in Ames. Really nice victory for them. 64-56. They have now won five in a row and seven out of eight again. They had a rough start as well. They were one and four to start Big 12 play. Seven out of eight. These two teams are absolutely rolling. The Cowboys tied for fourth in the Big 12 with Kansas State and Iowa State two games back. It is going to be an absolutely insane finish in the Big 12 this year. We're going to have to watch basically every single one of those games to see who's going to end up pulling out uh, in that conference tournament. And I'm here for it, man. Uh, (laughs) Oklahoma State has snuck up on me. Mm Also, staying in the Big 12, going back to me for our six-pack, Texas Tech gets their second Big 12 victory of the season, 71-63 over K-State. And, uh, boy, for Texas Tech, uh, it's listen, anytime you can hold Marquise Noel down, uh, Mm -hmm. you're going to be in good shape. Uh, Noel's just one of 10 in this one. Wildcats, as a team, just six of 26 from deep neither team could hold on to the ball very well texas tech won this game and had 18 turnovers while kansas state had 23 and so it's great for texas tech we'll see if they can get a couple more wins i love just to see that they keep battling even though it's been a a tough big 12 season we'll see what happens here moving forward Final one from our six-pack today, moving over to the Big East Conference. Creighton, 56-53 win over UConn. This was number 23, Creighton versus number 21, UConn. Close, close battle. Pretty ugly game, if we're being perfectly honest. Both teams shot under 40% from the field. Uh, I think the big issue for UConn was their guards just really, really struggled to score. Uh, Tristan Newton, Andre Jackson combined 4 of 15 from the field, combined 0 of 5 from deep, not knocking down their outside shots. Uh, not knocking down any shots, quite honestly. I believe they shot like under 33% from the field in this one. Uh, I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, They've both kind of had 
pretty wildly different trajectories in a lot of ways yeah. this season. Obviously, Creighton started the year out really highly regarded, had that six-game losing streak, has been one of the best teams in all of college basketball since then. UConn, of course, climbed up to the top of the rankings, was one of the best teams in college basketball, has slipped considerably since then. Uh, I don't think that this loss impacts them all that much, nope. quite honestly. I think Creighton's a very, very good team. They were, Again, they were within two spots of each other in the rankings, so it's a, it's a pretty close matchup here. Close game. Neither team played particularly well. Uh, I don't see this as like a, a, a particularly devastating loss for UConn. You'd like to get the win, but these are still two really, really solid teams, teams that are kind of right in the mix with Marquette and Xavier uh, in the Big East right now. In fact, Blue Jays, uh, Creighton are a half game back uh, and in third place right now in the Big East. Uh, we you talked watch- about how great of a fun it's going to be in the Big It's going to be a great finish in the Big 12. It's going to be a great finish in the Big East as well. Watch out for these Blue Jays, folks. They coming. Squawk, squawk. You know, I think that's a good enough note for us to end it on right there. Uh, Don't forget to check out the show on iTunes. Leave us a review there. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, We always appreciate the comments, the likes, the shares, whatever it may be. We got a ton of fantastic content coming your way later this week. A bunch of stuff we didn't even get to. Uh, We haven't had an opportunity to talk about the very insane story happening at New Mexico State. We will follow up with that as we get more information. Stuff is coming out live right now as we're talking. So we'll break that down. We'll talk about Kentucky and their, of course, losses over the week. Their loss to Georgia this last week as well. So tons more great stuff coming your way later this week. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. Find us on YouTube as well. 